Hey guys, Norm here. Welcome to the Tokyo Lens Podcast. And as always, if you're a regular listener, welcome back. I feel like we're going to have a lot of fun with today's podcast. As always, I want to give a little bit of a heads up. Today's podcast might reference a bit of information from a previous podcast talking about is Japan really that expensive? To be honest, you don't really need to listen to that podcast before listening to this one, but it would give you a little bit more context. So if you're on the fence, I would recommend listening to that one first. So as I sit down to record this podcast, I actually just wrapped up shooting a video. I kind of want to set the scene. So the sky here in Tokyo has just gone dark. I sat down earlier today to record a video which will bring us back to a series that we started at the end of last year. See, for regular viewers of the Tokyo Lens channel, you'll know that in 2017, I went back to Canada for the first time in like three years, found those DV tapes, and finally got them digitized by a wonderfully generous cameraman at the end of 2018 and we started watching the videos from my first trip to Japan ever. Now that series kind of took a back seat for a while while I worked on some other projects but today I started recording part three of that series. Now by the time this podcast is released that video will be live and linked in the description box below so if you have a chance definitely jump over and watch that video. This video was interesting because I had a few revelations and I even got to see my current vlogging style start to develop within that video there. There were a lot of interesting experiences along the way. And one of the things that happened in that video was part of the inspiration for today's podcast. That and in the previous episode of the Tokyo Lens podcast, I promised you guys a story about going from Tokyo to Kyoto in a really, really cheap manner. Anyways, we're going to get back to this. So in Sapporo, one of the things that happened that you'll be able to see in this video is I kind of overextended myself financially in a way that I wasn't really expecting. In fact, in one tiny little meal, I ended up spending three days worth of money and I ended up a little bit stressed about it, understandably. But in the end, this experience played itself out to be a really good experience. I ended up making friends with it, everything like that. But it got me thinking again about this topic of spending money versus not spending money. You see, when I shared the Tokyo Lens podcast about, you know, is Japan really that expensive and how you can survive on $10 or less a day if you want to, a few people made a very, very legitimate observation. And they said, you know, you can, but should you? That's the real question. You can spend that little, but are you really going to have the best experience? And I thought that this was a really, really valuable question and something that I kind of wanted to address. So we're going to open with that. Before we move into this story of how to get from Tokyo to Kyoto super cheap, and that is really just an example story for a much bigger picture. So getting into it, I want to preface this by saying that there are experiences out there that will cost money and there's no way around that. So I personally 
want to save for those experiences. I want to make sure that I'm not overextending myself in the parts where I don't need to. I think in the end, it all comes down to that delicate, delicate balance. So in the question of should you? Yeah, maybe you shouldn't. Can you? You definitely can. You can get around Tokyo and spend next to nothing for an entire day, but will you have the best experience? Maybe not. The balance is the most important part. If you've decided to take on an entire Japan trip and you're budget for the whole trip allows you only $10 a day, you may find yourself having a lot more stress than excitement. But if there are a few key adventures that you are saving for that you know that adventure is going to cost you a little bit more than perhaps one of the other adventures, then yeah, managing your money that way makes a lot more sense. So I'm glad that question came up. What I want to talk about now is a little bit of an adventure that I did that wasn't originally meant to be an adventure. This adventure takes place probably six or seven years ago. It was winter, the end of the year, just around New Year's. In fact, just before New Year's. You see, I was talking to a friend in Tokyo about our New Year's plans, and I said, what are your New Year's plans? And he said, well, New Year's in Kyoto is absolutely gorgeous. I'm going to be going down to Kyoto for New Year's. I'm leaving tonight. How about you, Norm? What are your New Year's plans? And I was like, I don't really have any on the books. I know that I'm going to be spending New Year's with my best friend in the world, which is good enough for me, but we haven't really talked about what we're doing. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to go down to Kyoto too. At which point my buddy laughed and he's like, good luck with that. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, it is like two days before New Year's right now. Flights are fully booked. The trains are fully booked. They've already started shutting down the Shinkansen. So there's no standing room on them. Additionally, buses and pretty much every other method of transportation to Kyoto is fully booked. Going to Kyoto at this point, unfortunately, Norm, is not an option. Now, I don't know about you, but when somebody tells me that something is not an option, it really, really doubles down my efforts, and I lock on. As soon as I heard him say, sorry, Norm, but going to Kyoto is not an option, I was like, oh, oh boy, I'm going to go to Kyoto. I don't know how yet, but I'm going to go to Kyoto. He kind of chuckled and he said, good for you. And I think that's pretty much where we ended the conversation. But the thing is, it was at that point that I realized, okay, well, I if I'm going to go to Kyoto for New Year's, that means I need to leave like the next day because the next day was the 31st of December. So I got home and started looking into my options. It turns out that pretty much everything he said was accurate. Flights were all booked. The Shinkansen was all booked up. Even the standing area cars, they were like, it is not recommended. We cannot guarantee you'll be able to get on the train. We may not even sell tickets. There was not a single bus, not even night bus available. And it was during this time that I remembered something. Something that I had learned about a couple of years before. Something called the Seishun Juhachikip. Otherwise known as the Youthful 18 Ticket. So let's start by talking about the youthful 18 ticket. Uh, we're going to talk about what it is. And the youthful 18 ticket is a discount train ticket, a ticket that allows you to travel for a set 
period of time within a set price. So let's start with the cost. The cost of this ticket is 11,850 yen. Ironically, about $118. One, one, eight. See, see the one eight in there? That, that really wasn't as clever as it sounded in my head. Moving on. So this ticket, how it works is it is, you can use it for five days during the validity period. Now there's a purchasing period and a usage period in terms of validity. It is all on the Japan Rails website. So check that for the most up-to-date information if you're interested in getting this ticket. But basically the way it works is once you have purchased this ticket, you have five days to use it within the validity period. Now, those five days can be consecutive or spread out across several weeks, as long as it is within those five periods. It can be used for pretty much any JR trains, except for trains like Shinkansen, which is where the big hook comes in right at the beginning, because it's a great ticket, but you can't use it for the bullet train. But one of the things that makes this ticket as interesting as it is, is it can be shared. Now, if you were, for example, traveling by yourself, that would give you five days of travel unlimited on local trains or express, just not Shinkansen, across the country. Very exciting, very appealing. But if you were to travel with five people, for example, five people going from one end of the country to the other, you could technically do that if you can do the entire trip in a day for $118. It would use the entirety of the ticket across those five people. So if you were to travel, for example, with two people, that would give you, you know, two days of usage and one day left over to be used. So you can go somewhere, get back, and still have a day left over for one person. And that was our plan. We decided we were going to get this youthful 18 ticket, and we were going to take local trains from Tokyo to Kyoto from first thing in the morning. Now, if I were you, I'd be sitting there thinking, well, this sounds kind of crazy. And yeah, it, it might have been, but I was determined to get to Kyoto. And this was pretty much the only way at the time. And I thought, you know what, this is a great opportunity to do something brand new that I have never done and see a whole bunch of train line areas and just back streets, not back streets, but countryside and all that that I've never seen before. So on the night of the 30th, I went and I picked up one of these Seishin Juhachi Kippu. Then quickly went home, packed up everything, and woke up first thing in the morning to catch the very first train from Ueno. Now, Luckily, being the first train from Ueno, it wasn't really that crowded. And in fact, that first train ride went by in the blink of an eye. Now, for those of you wondering, like, how long would this entire trip take? The entire trip in its entirety from Ueno to Kyoto, I believe, took the better part of maybe nine hours or so. Uh, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if you've done this and you have the right information, maybe hit me up on Twitter, let me know. But I believe it took us about nine hours. Now that first train was by far the easiest, the most peaceful. We got on and well, considering how early it was in the morning, we pretty much 
passed out right there on the train. Thank goodness for Japanese trains being so safe and us not having to worry about any of our baggage. Now, we woke up as this train was coming to the end of its stop and we noticed something very quickly. We noticed that the doors of the train were crowded before the train even stopped. Now, what I mean by this is everybody inside the car was already crowding the door, which if you've been to Japan, you'll know it's a little bit of a weird situation because when you first get on a Japanese train and you're getting off at your station, a lot of people will be like, oh, well, you know, the next station's my stop, so I'm going to get up and get off the train and just wait at the door. But the longer you're in Japan, the more you realize that people will wait until right as the door opened to even stand up from their seat. So to see everybody gathered at the door, like several stops before, well, not several stops, but like several minutes before was really curious. And so we felt a bit of pressure and we're like, okay, we, we should probably pack up our stuff. It was at this point that we heard the train announcement saying that the next train on this Tokaido line, which we were taking, will be leaving from such and such station at this time. That gives you several minutes for the transfer. And then I got to realizing that probably every single one of these people is hoping to get a seat on the next train. And so we played the game. We got up, we gathered ourselves at the door, and as soon as those doors open, it was a mad dash. It was like one of those movies where they open the doors at Christmas and everyone rushes into the store. And that is exactly what this was like. Everyone rushed out of the train. Everyone looking up at the signs above to see where the next platform is and get to that platform before anyone else because the train was already waiting there. And if you do not get onto that train and get yourself a seat nice and early, you run the way... Ah, sorry, you run the risk of having to stand for the next three or so hours of this journey. Luckily, we got a seat. And even better than that, we were even more prepared for the next transfer when it happened again. Now, this happened for each transfer. I think we had a total of four transfers, taking five trains the entire there. It might have been three in a total of four. But by the time we got on the second train, we were fully awake. We had a nice rest on that first train. So the second train became a little bit of a, a research time. We opened up our phones and we were like, okay, let's see if we can't find a hotel. Because with everything being as busy as it was the day before, yes, I, I went to Kyoto without any lodging during New Year's. Worst case scenario, though, I did have a friend or two living in Kyoto who said, hey, if you're coming down for New Year's, just stay with me and my family. But, you know, if you've heard the content on Christmas versus New Year's in Japan, you'll understand why I wasn't super keen on imposing on an entire family for their New Year's. So I was really determined to find a place to stay. Pretty much that entire train ride, which was about two to three hours, was used up with just you know, searching and getting in contact with different like places to stay. And finally, we found a place to stay. Now, by the time we got onto the third train, the views really started to change because by that point, we were more in central Japan. We were far from Tokyo. 
beautiful, beautiful mountains. The train was starting to weave through valleys and we were up on the edge of the cliff. And so you are glued to the windows the entire time. By this point, even the people who didn't manage to land seats were kind of enjoying the ride just because the views were so spectacular. And as we got out of that area, into the mountains themselves, out of the valleys, you started to get the snow. And you start to get that feeling that we're like one train away from being there. And before you know it, you are on that last train and well on your way to Kyoto. And it's usually at this point that there's the whole like, okay, so are we going to get a bus pass for the day? Are we going to rent a bicycle? How are we going to get around? What kind of places do we want to go to? How do we want to spend New Year's? And before you know it, that train ride itself is over and it's done and dusted and you find yourself in Kyoto. Now, while I have not yet done a piece on Kyoto, there are a few facts and little pieces of information that I'd like to share with you guys that I'm hoping that you might get a little value from. And then we'll come back to this topic about getting from Tokyo to Kyoto super, super cheap. Because if you think about it, the entire trip from Tokyo to Kyoto and back for two people, not including hotel and food, still didn't even cost us $100 round trip, which is amazing because if you were to take a Shinkansen from Tokyo to Kyoto round trip, you're looking probably $150 in each direction, about Ichiman Gosen yen, so about, a, what is it, 15,000 yen? So you're looking at 30,000 yen or roughly $300 round trip for a bullet train. Even a night bus, if you're lucky enough to get it, is still at its best going to cost you about 600 yen, 600, no, 6,000 yen each direction. So you're looking for night buses easily, easily. I'd say Ichiman Nisan or $120 to go round trip. More than likely, though, the night buses are going to cost you a lot closer to 9,000 yen in each direction, unless you manage to find one on sale, which means you're looking at the better part of $200 just for a round trip. Now, now that that information is covered, as I said, we're, we're going to come back to this, this topic, but I wanted to share a little bit of useful Kyoto information for you. Maybe you've been to Kyoto, maybe you never have, maybe that is the dream destination for you. I'll start by saying that Kyoto really, really is a lovely place to be. And there are different ways to enjoy it. In fact, I may do an entirely separate piece of content on this at some point because effectively enjoying Kyoto is something that a lot of people have been struggling with lately. Because with the increase in tourism that there has been in Japan, a lot of people are flocking to Kyoto and it's, I wouldn't say ruining it, but I'm going to say ruining it because you'll go to get these beautiful views of places like the Fushimi Inari Shrine or Kinkakuji or any of these places. And it is wall to wall humans. There are just tourists everywhere. The sounds of the gardens and the temples and shrines drown out by the sound of iPhone shutters and selfie sticks. The beautiful views and clear photographs that you're hoping to get are just filled with people's faces and heads. But it doesn't mean that you can't still 
enjoy Kyoto. The very first time that I ever went out to Kyoto would have been back in 2005, probably. I haven't got to that part of our video series yet, but when I do, trust me, you'll know about it. And we'll probably touch a little bit more on this at that time. At that time, tourism in Kyoto was you know, apparent, but it wasn't as big as it is now. I was able to go most places without having to fight massive crowds of tourists. So my tips for going to, when you get into Kyoto. First off, Kyoto is a surprisingly small city. If you have enough time and energy, it's not actually that hard to walk to most places. Some of them, like Arashiyama, are a little bit further away, but the two main forms of transportation that I recommend for Kyoto are number one, getting a bus pass. There's a bus pass that the last time I rented it, rented it, last time I purchased it was 500 yen and it gives you full bus access for the entire day. Kyoto's bus network is fantastic and it's just really easy to get around on a bus. The second and by far much more interesting way to get around Kyoto is rent a bike. A lot of hotels and hostels in the area will have bike rental services, and if they don't, there is no shortage of Kyoto bike rental services right near the station. Kyoto being as small as it is, it is a really, really... And again, this contributes to one of the ways to avoid the crowds in Kyoto. Because you see, with Kyoto being as popular as it is, taking the bus means taking the bus with a massive crowd of people. But if you are just on a bicycle back, going through the back streets of Kyoto and doing exploration, that's freedom right there. You are not fighting massive crowds. It's not like there are thousands of people out on bicycles along with you. It is you and the road and maybe whoever you're with, your phone, your camera, whatever it is, you get the freedom and you get to feel Kyoto much more than being packed onto a train or a bus. Now, that being said, when you are in Kyoto, there are going to be two times that are going to be your best friend. Kyoto is not the time for sleep. Sorry, I think a lot of people might not agree with that. Well, if I'm going on vacation, I'm going to sleep. But Kyoto is one of those rare places where I see. OK, I'm going to sidebar here, as I often do in the podcast. I am not always an early riser. I know that there are some content creators out there who will watch like a Casey Neistat video on waking up at 4 a.m. and change their entire life based around that and be like, well, I'm a content creator, so I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. every day. No, no, no. If I can sleep in, I'm going to sleep in. I've got to wake up at roughly 7.30 a.m. Anyway, it's just kind of the part of my, my schedule, the way I am. I'm not a four o'clock in the morning person, but if I'm going to Kyoto, I am a 4 a.m. person in Kyoto. You want to be, especially if you have rented a bicycle. Oh, you want to wake up as early as possible and just get out there on that bike. Most of the tourist attractions, like some of the temples and whatnot, will have opening times that you won't be able to get into those temples before that. But you can do exploring of the city. You can check out the mountains. You can check out the river and especially areas like Arashiyama, the bamboo forest. That area gets incredibly crowded with people come midday. But if you get there early enough in the morning, you can really, really enjoy it. Then once you get into these areas, just do the same thing that I've recommended a thousand times to do in Tokyo and just walk in any direction 
15, 20 minutes around the area, you will find so many hidden treasures and little things to explore that the other tourists haven't done. A lot of the tourists are going to be going from bus stop to bus stop, hitting these temples and shrines that are super popular and they are great to see. But early in the morning and right around sunset, these are the times because you see, surprisingly, surprisingly, a lot of these tourists will start to wind down as soon as sunset hits, especially with in Japan, especially around winter, which is surprisingly early. Like the sun set today around like, I don't know, 4.30, 5 o'clock, something like that, maybe even earlier. I think it started to get dark around 4. Once that sun sets, a lot of people just feel like, oh, today is done. I'm going to head back to my hotel or we're going to head to a restaurant or a bar or something like that. So if you head to the restaurants and bars around 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m., you're just joining the crowds. And those restaurants and bars and everything are going to be just as jam-packed with people as everywhere else. But if you use that time, your time right before the sun sets to hit whatever favorite temple or shrine or whatever it is, you're going to be facing a lot less people. My favorite location in Kyoto is the Fushimi Inari Shrine. It's the one with the long row of red tori or orange tori gates that go up the mountain for like well over an hour. That place, the best time to go there is roughly an hour before sunset, maybe 40 minutes before sunset. You get up to the top, you get that beautiful orange light breaking through the side of the gates not that many people there because it's pretty much the end of the day and who wants to climb a mountain at the end of your long day in Kyoto it's peaceful it's quiet and then when you're coming back down you have that beautiful beautiful orange on blue lighting those orange tori gates contrast against the blue evening light right before it gets dark And what makes it all the better is now we all have little flashlights on our phone. So even if it gets a little darker, just turn on that flashlight and away you go. First thing in the morning and just around sunset, these to me feel like insanely obvious tips. But I think they've become obvious because I've done it so many times. I've been to Kyoto so many times and used these tips. So you're probably wondering like, well, then what what do I do during the daytime? The daytime is for the exploration on the bicycle. It's where you can visit some of the lesser known shrines, temples, attractions, go to the river, maybe do a little bit of shopping. This is your time. First thing in the morning, right in the evening, those are the And then by the time you wrap up at whatever temple or shrine it is that you're going to at the end of the night, right there, everybody's finished at the bars. They've all gone back to their hotels. Actually, in the nighttime, a lot of people tend to gather by the river and make that area really, really busy. So if you avoid that area in the evening and do something completely different, all the better to you. So that is the end of the sidebar on this story. Getting back to this Seishun Juhachikipu, there's a couple questions that I've kind of written down for myself that I kind of wanted to reflect on a little bit. So we've talked about how it works. We've talked about what happened. Now we want to talk about, was it worth it? Because we had to take local trains all the way from Tokyo to Kyoto, but that means we also took local trains all the way back. And admittedly, coming all the way back, there was a little more tiredness in ourselves and there was a little less excitement and anticipation which made 
you would think makes the, the ride back feel longer, but as is with many situations, the way there tends to feel longer and the way back, you already know the route, so it feels shorter. So in my personal perception, the way back from Kyoto definitely felt shorter. It was definitely definitely worth it especially knowing that there was no other way for us to get the tickets for shinkansen or any other there was no other way for us to get to kyoto so to me this was a definite worthwhile experience but that brings me to the question would i do it again and this is something that i have put years and years of thought into i've never really felt opposed to doing it again. It didn't tire me out or really deter me from wanting to do it again. It's not the kind of thing that would be like, well, I'm, I, I want to do this every single year. But it comes back to that discussion at the beginning. It, there was a trade-off in there. There was a definite, definite trade-off. In order to save the money or even have this experience, we had to do it in the most budget way possible. And within that, we landed ourselves a journey that gave us so many little other mini adventures and experiences that we wouldn't have had we just paid the $300 round trip for a Shinkansen provided that one was available. So when it comes down to it, we had this incredibly amazing experience. We got to see so many areas that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten to see. Like I am telling you, the Shinkansen from Tokyo to Kyoto being as beautiful as it is misses out massively on some of the incredible views that you will get on the Tokaido line running from Tokyo to Kyoto, especially as you get closer to Kyoto or passing through the mountains. I, I, I may have to do it at some point, literally just for the sake of making a video for you guys to see because it is spectacular and I would not have seen any of that had it not been for us not being able to get the tickets so I think if I were like honestly asked hey I'm planning on doing this Norm will you come along with me and my schedule was open I'd probably be like yes I will do this again um again as I said, there is a trade-off. It took us nine hours to get there. It usually does not take nine hours to get from Tokyo to Kyoto. And the only time that it will is if you're using something like a night bus. And night buses, if you're able to sleep on the bus, are fine because you're just sleeping that entire time anyway. So it kind of brings us all the way around back to the topic of, yes, you can do stuff really cheap in Japan, but should you? And I think my original answer to this point still stands. You can and you should, but you shouldn't always because there's a delicate balance that falls inside of everything. I understand that a lot of people come to Japan and the, their budget is very, very restricting. There's lots of things that they want to do that they can't do. But I think that that's also part of the adventure. And the adventure is one of the biggest reasons that we end up leaving our country and coming out to a place like Japan anyway. So rather than allowing that to become a stress, it's much, much better. And it's always been my way to take that restriction, whether it is imposed upon you or whether you are putting it on yourself and using that restriction to create adventure. 
personally, some of the best experiences that I have had in my life, some of the best revelations, some of the best just moments or creative sparks that I have had have come out of these restrictions. For example, in one of the previous podcast episodes, I introduced you to a photographer friend of mine named Taylor. Now, Taylor, you see, Taylor does a lot of wedding photography. And for those of you who are familiar at all with camera gear, there is a lens that a lot of photographers like to use that goes from kind of wide to fairly zoomed. It is a 24 to 70 lens. Taylor always said that that particular lens was the worst lens for photographers and bred pure laziness because you don't have restrictions. You can get a wide shot. You can get a cut shot. You can get everything in between. And it's just so easy to shoot with. What he likes to do is give himself like a set fixed focal length lens, like a 50 millimeter or a 40 millimeter and force himself to get all the best shots he can within that. The restrictions breed creativity. And especially when it comes to travel, creativity breeds adventure. And I know I keep saying the word adventure again and again and again and again, because that's what this really comes down to. Not everybody out there is going to have the biggest budget. And even if you do have the biggest budget, just by throwing money at every single problem, throwing money at every single part of your adventure turns the adventure into that 24 to 70 lens. It gets kind of lazy and it gets kind of wasteful. And you're like, well, you know, I've spent a ton of money, but everything was super, super simple. Now, there is a trade-off for this, as I said before. When we were talking about, for example, something like time, if I wanted to get out to Kyoto nowadays, especially like content creation, if I need, you know, if the time is more value to me, I'm going to spend that money. So if you are only in Japan for a very, very short period of time, I would say it's worth considering bringing just a little bit more money than you would for a longer period of time, if that makes sense at all. Because the trade-off, if you're only here for three to five days, you're not going to want to sacrifice time for the, the finance side of things. Whereas if you're going to be here for three weeks to three months, you have the time. You have the time to find the adventure and everything like that. And I feel like I just keep going full circle on this over and over and over. All of that being said, there is one more way, obviously, to get from Tokyo to Kyoto that I haven't really addressed yet in this podcast. And I'm going to briefly touch on it and some of the pros and cons to it. So the one remaining slightly potentially obvious option would be to rent a vehicle, rent a car and drive from one area to the other. One thing to keep in mind with that, even if you have brought a driver's license to Japan outside of the car rental and the gas fee, there's going to be two more things that will cost you an abundance if you've never driven in Japan that you need to be prepared for. Number one, in Japan, pretty much all highways are paid highways. So do expect to have to pay a like a decent fare. Let me take a look and see how much the fare from Tokyo to Kyoto is. So it's saying here that the drive from Tokyo to Kyoto or vice versa is roughly $100 give or take one way. And these prices do change slightly depending on like, you know, weekend, weekday, stuff like that. The other cost that you're going to have to keep in mind and be ready for 
is parking fees. Parking fees in Japan, especially in major cities like Tokyo or Kyoto, can be incredibly high, ranging anywhere from 2,000 to 5,000 yen, so 20 to 50 bucks a day. For parking. In fact, even apartment buildings in Tokyo that have parking spaces may charge as much as $300 to $500 a month just for parking in your own building, providing that there's a space available. And one of the reasons that they can get away with doing that is because, in order to even get a car registered in Japan, well, in Tokyo, specifically in Tokyo, you need to prove that you have a registered parking space. Otherwise, they won't even sell you a car. And again, I kind of feel like I've really sidebarred here. And hopefully, that for the most part summarizes the seemingly cheapest way to get from Tokyo to Kyoto or vice versa. If you know a cheaper way, definitely hit me up on Twitter and let me know. And yes, I am aware that cycling is potentially a cheaper way. You're still going to have to find a way to stay places. I don't know, maybe set up a tent. Anyway, Norm, stop sidebarring, stop sidebarring, get back to it. So, guys, Again, this entire podcast today, despite being something that I promised I would follow up with and tell you guys the full story of, as we did our last podcast, was in large part、uh, inspired by the video that I shot today. And as I said, by the time I'm releasing this podcast, that video will already be up on Tokyo Lens. So it is linked in the description below. I really hope that you guys got some value from this podcast. I know I say it every time, but if you did get any value from this podcast, I'd like to ask just a tiny little bit of a favor from you guys. If you are using iTunes or Apple or listening to this on your iPhone or Google phone, if you could jump into Apple or Google Podcasts or whatever app you're using and just give it a little bit of a review, that would mean the world to me. Guys, you know that we have more podcast content coming real soon. In fact, I'm already excited about next week's Tokyo Tuesday and the follow up to that. So hold tight. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It's been a blast having you guys. And you know, I will talk to you again real soon. <laughs>